Well, uh, welcome once again. We'll uh, be looking at the Lamentations of Jeremiah and uh, really uh, kind of a bleak subject, except, and we'll get to that except in a little bit. Um, uh, the Lamentations were a series of dirges, really. They were a series of um, laments uh, that were put in poetic form uh, from Jeremiah uh, as he was surveying the, uh, the aftermath of the people of Judah and how they had disobeyed uh, the Lord, uh, followed their own path, and it led them to, uh, many of them to destruction, uh, and certainly it led them into captivity. So uh, this took place shortly after 586 B.C. Uh, and uh, we see here that uh, these were, I don't know, people do different things to cope at times, don't they? And so it seems uh, that these uh, fit under kind of a coping mechanism from Jeremiah. Uh, but the, the beauty of this is that the Spirit uh, attended these and give us some nuggets here for us to uh, to read and to, to take to heart. So uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, as I mentioned, these are a series of five uh, different uh, laments over the devastation and sorrow of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jehovah on Jerusalem, the lamentation and prayer of Jeremiah, and the third one, and the third one is one we'll want to focus on. Uh, the description of the siege of Jerusalem is the fourth one, and then the fifth one, the petition for the restoration of the remnant. Uh, we'll read uh, the key verse, Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Uh, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And we want to hold on to that as we look through uh, this lesson. The first question of our lesson materials says, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, what circumstances caused his anguish? So let's look into Lamentations uh, chapter 1, and we'll read several verses. We'll read verse 3. Uh, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen, she findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. And we'll read verse 6. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. We'll read verse 8. Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. And we'll read verses 15 through 17. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as in a winepress. For these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water, because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate, because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreadeth forth her hands, and there is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them. 
So we see many of the calamities that have befallen them. Uh, it is mentioned several times that it was through their own sin and their own um, stubborn way. Uh, but let's try to paint a picture here with the things that Jeremiah has brought out. So we see that they were brought into captivity and, and they were utterly destroyed. And we'll talk a little bit later about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city, but, uh, but utterly destroyed. There was just a remnant left that were, I don't know if they were the favor of the Chaldeans or what, but they, they allowed them, certain people, to live in the land uh, but they were even destitute. They were prey to uh, others who might come through and, and cause problems. Uh, there was just great destruction, and they were gone into captivity. And, and what's interesting is in verse 6, uh, it, it paints a picture I think we can identify with. Her princes are become like hearts or deer uh, that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. So we see here that they, they felt like prey. They felt like an animal that couldn't find refuge, that couldn't find peace, that could not find even enough to eat, uh, and was constantly uh, being pursued. Uh, well, none of us want to live like that. One of the reasons that we seek out security and we have the liberty that we have in the United States is because we don't want to feel afraid. We don't want to feel uh, concerned uh, about someone coming in and taking something from us. And so we use a system of laws and, and governance that, that is meant to prevent that and give us some sort of security. But Judah had no security. They, they had trusted in a security that was their own or was in some other nation, but they did not trust in the security of the Lord. They did not follow him, and thus they had no security. And so they, they felt as a, as a fleeing animal would feel. Uh, and that really paints a, a picture for us. Uh, in verse 8, Therefore she has removed all that honoreth, honored her, despise her. All of those nations that they had reached out to and had favorable relations with, all of them turned their back on Judah. All of them turned their back on Jerusalem. There wasn't a single friend. I'm kind of reminded as we think about this of the account of the prodigal son and how when he had money and he had fame, he... He went about just kind of living life, and he had a lot of friends when he had money. Uh, but then when he no longer had money and he was in a bad way, all of those friends left him. Uh, well, Judah was in that same place. And it, it paints a picture. Uh, we, we don't want to be in that place. But that's where Judah found themselves. It's interesting as we uh, consider... Uh, let's turn to Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Uh, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, uh, and just to give you some background, uh, these are the words of Christ. But this comes after a very scathing rebuke of Jesus to the Pharisees and to the scribes, calling them hypocrites and vipers, uh, using uh, much language, much very strong language, to illustrate uh, just how far they had fallen away from the God uh, of their fathers. Uh, but he says this as a cap to that. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. We've read about some of that, haven't we? How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. You see, the, the Lord doesn't delight in 
and bringing this against Judah or against any uh, nation. He doesn't delight in, in hurting people at all. Quite the opposite. We see that the Lord wants to reach out and to help what made Jeremiah's nation or time so uh, interesting to us is that the people did not turn. You know, so many times we look back at the children of Israel and the children of Judah, and we see that there were times in which they were straying from the path. God would call to them, uh, and he would give send a prophet in their midst. And when they turned back to God, we see that God was faithful, that God did not bring destruction, that he pushed those things off. But here, destruction came because they did not turn. And thus they found themselves in this place of being pursued and not having any rest. It reminded me of a time with my daughter, Rebecca. I was walking with both of my children. I think Rebecca might have been, she might have been 13 by this time. But we were walking just, my children and I, and we were just going down the street. I don't know if we were just taking a walk or if we were going to the church or where we were going. Pardon me, but we were uh, we were traveling and and uh, we were crossing the street and a, and a dog from a I think it was a, a pit bull. Not that I have anything against pit bulls, but uh, this breed happened to be a pit bull and it, it it charged at us and it was somewhat menacing when it did so. And so I put my children behind me and I held on to them. But it was interesting because my daughter Rebecca's instinct was to run, and so she wanted to just run. She didn't want to stick close to me. She wanted to get out of there, but I held on to her and. Uh, basically faced the dog down and the, and the owner came and got the dog and everything was fine. There was no hurt or no problem. But I looked over to my daughter and I, and I told her, I said, you know, if you run from me, I can't protect you. And you know, that's, that's true of the Lord. You know, if we run from the Lord, which is what Judah had done, if we run from the Lord, then there is no protection. There is no help. There is no anything. We must turn to the Lord in our time of need. And just like I was going to defend my daughter, uh, the Lord will do that for us. The Lord will defend us. The Lord will will be there and help us uh, in our time of need. Uh, We read in Psalm 139, and I would love to read the entire psalm, but it's 24 verses and we just don't have that kind of time. But I'm going to read the first 10. But Psalm 139 uh, starting at verse one, uh, the chief musician to the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts, thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast been, uh, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy... Shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And your homework, you should read the rest of the psalm. It's beautiful. But we see that the Lord knows everything about us. 
He knows the thoughts that we have in our heads. He knows the things that are on our tongues. He understands all of those things. And so when people think that they can flee from God and somehow hide from Him, it just doesn't work like that. But if we flee, uh, the Lord, uh, well, we take our life into our own hands. We take our soul into our own hands. If we uh, continue on into the second chapter of Lamentations, or the second Lamentation, uh, we'll talk about the destruction of the temple now. We'll read in verses 6 and six through 10, Lamentations 2, uh, verse 6. And he hath violently taken away his tabernacle, as if it were of a garden. He hath destroyed his palaces, or pardon me, his places of the assembly, The Lord hath caused the solemn feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion and hath despised in the indignation of his anger the king and the priest. The Lord hath cast off his altar. He hath abhorred his sanctuary. He hath given up into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of a solemn feast. The Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion, he hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. We see the destruction of Solomon's temple. And by all accounts, Solomon's temple was a a beautiful uh, piece of architecture. Uh, Solomon uh, took time Uh, to build his own house and to build the house of the Lord. It says in Scripture that he took 20 years to do so. So it it took a long time as they did. And if I remember correctly, as they were building uh, the Solomon's temple, there there were to be no tool sounds at the work site. And I'm doing this from memory. I didn't look at this this morning. Uh, but there were to be no tool sounds. So they did all of their chiseling. They did all of their hacking into the, uh, the dimensions that they wanted on the quarry site and then brought those and fitted them into place. Uh, What a a beauty it would have been to behold. Uh, But it was destroyed. Uh, We uh, we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, just a portion here. We'll read verses 6 and 7. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto unto his place into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread spread forth their two wings over the place uh, of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. Uh, I should have said this before, but this is the dedication of Solomon's temple. Uh, This is back when uh, Solomon uh, finished it and they were dedicating it unto the Lord. And so we'll continue reading in verse 10 of the same chapter, 1 Kings 8, 10. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled 
the house of the Lord. So we see here the dedication of Solomon's temple was a glorious thing that God approved of this dwelling, uh, that God came and blessed it with his presence, that he, he did the same thing he had done with the tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, he came down and he filled, and it says his glory filled the temple. Uh, and it was so much that even the priest couldn't stand or couldn't even be there to minister uh, because of God's glory. And really, when you think about it, isn't that something we want in our own lives? The glory of God to fill our lives. Uh, but this was the, the beginning of this temple uh, that God came down and he, uh, he helped uh, the people uh, understand uh, that he wanted to dwell with them, that he wanted to be uh, their God. Uh, we'll continue reading a little bit further into the next chapter. First uh, Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. So we didn't read that prayer, but that was the end of the previous chapter. Uh, that thou hast made before me, I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Oh, makes me want to weep to think of the, the Lord coming down and being present there in that temple and uh, telling him that, that his eyes and his heart would be there perpetually. God loved the people of Israel. Well, he loves all people, but he, he loved them. He wanted them to know, if, if you would just serve me, I will be your God. I will give you everything you need. Uh, we read on, uh, and we'll jump down to verse 6 in the same chapter, 1 Kings 9, 6. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. So, well, the Lord doesn't mess around, does he? He's the Lord God. And he gave Solomon and the people very clear warning. He says, I am pleased to dwell here with you, but if you depart, if you serve other gods... If you make a mockery of my word or this temple, he says, I will cast it aside. Well, that's what happened. Uh, we see Jeremiah lamenting that, that the Lord had been displeased and had caused great destruction. Uh, let's move on into chapter 3 of Lamentations. And there's so much here. Uh, really want to read. We, we've already read verses 22 and 23, but I'd like to read them again. We'll read verses 20, 21, actually, through well, verse 36. Here we go. All right. So Lamentations chapter 3, starting at verse 21, says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. This is Jeremiah lamenting. Uh, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Okay, let's stop for just a second. Now think about the destruction that we just talked about. Think about the, the difficulty that they've already gone through. But Jeremiah has hope. 
You and I have hope. The, the people of Judah had hope if they would reach out and grab it. The, the reality is, is that they were not in a hopeless situation. All they had to do was come God's way and hope would be restored. So let's continue. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there be, may be hope. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Putteth his mouth in the dust is, a, is an act of reverence. To, to come before God and to, to put your face essentially in the dirt. To come, become as low as you possibly can in humility before God. Verse 30, He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't look for opportunities to cause men to have trouble. I used to think that in my youth. I used to think that the Lord was just waiting to, to, to find me out in something and cause me pain or cause me struggle. But that's not God. That's not in the nature of God. That isn't what He is after. Uh, if He was after that, He wouldn't give uh, any uh, hope to anybody. He, he would simply afflict. And there are those that serve gods that do just that. And that boggles my mind. But God, the God Jehovah, is not like that. God uh, loves us. And He has compassion Verse 34, to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. Actually, we need to go back to 33 to put that in context. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High to subvert a man in his cause. The Lord approveth not. The Lord loves you and I. And I, and I like how Jeremiah grabbed a hold of that hope that hope that, that God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, that every day you wake up, the past is the past. And today is a brand new day in which you can make a choice to serve God with your whole heart. It doesn't matter the past. It doesn't matter the things that have gone on. You can make a choice today to serve God. For His mercies are new today. Available right now. Uh, for those who would seek Him, for those who would follow uh, the example that Jeremiah gives here by coming humbly before God. We'll go into uh, chapter 4 of Lamentations. And we'll look at verses 17 through 20. Lamentations four seventeen. As for us... Our eyes as yet failed for our vain help, and our watching we have watched for a nation that could not save us. Uh, they hunt our steps that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near, our days are fulfilled, for our end is come. Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of the heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. 
The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. So we have a situation here. We'll go back to uh, verse 17. It says, as for us, our eyes as yet failed for our vain help. Uh, This seems to be a reference uh, about the nation of Judah looking to other nations to save them. Uh, They tried to form alliances. They tried to have Egypt come and be their savior, as it were. And we see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually turns his attention then to Egypt and utterly routed them before coming back and focusing once again on Judah. Uh, It was to no avail. Uh, They looked for uh, humans. They looked for flesh to, to honor or to help them in some way when God had already given them the way that they needed to go. Uh, the reality of this is that uh, the the scripture puts it, it our vain help it was vanity it was vain to be able to try and reach out to have flesh uh, intercede or intervene uh, that uh, god's pun- on god's punishment uh, the reality is is that the flesh doesn't have the ability to do that there is no nation on earth there's been no person on earth uh, there's no spirit uh, outside of the earth uh, there is no one else that can challenge uh, the Lord God. Uh, he is all. He is everything. He is the great I am. And so to think that any kind of human intervention might somehow circumvent what God had planned was folly. It will not uh, amount to anything. Uh, this was mentioned in chapter 17 of Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah 17:5 says, "Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord." Cursed, it says. Uh, we read in Second Chronicles 32:7 through 8, "Be strong and courageous; be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him." So before I go on to verse 8, this is Hezekiah. And if you do the numbers, there wasn't more. So what was he saying then when he said that there are more that be with us? Well, he was counting the Lord and he was counting uh, the Lord's host. Uh, Verse 8, with him is an arm of flesh. With the king of Assyria, there's an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So we see here an example where Hezekiah was uh, trying to rally the people. He had been encouraged himself and wanted the people to understand God is with us. Uh, God has given us his blessing. God will be our uh, victor uh, in this fight. In Psalm 118, verses 5 and 6, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? You see, we flip this on its ear. They were looking for man's help and they they were not going to find it. Cursed is the man that looks uh, to man for help in that way. Uh, But we see we flip that on its ear and we look to the Lord for our help. And what can man do against us? What can man do to, uh, to, to hurt us? Oh, certainly we've read accounts of people that were that were hurt and even killed for the cause of Christ. But truly, those people had a hope of heaven 
in their hearts. And even though they might have met their demise or gone through difficult places, uh, we see that they had that hope of heaven, that heaven was waiting for them. It was really their captors and those that were inflicting the damage that should have been afraid, that should have been terrified. Because God does not take it lightly when people treat the righteous poorly. God brought judgment. We read one last portion here in Hebrews 13.6. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Amen. And that could have been Judah. We'll continue on into chapter 5. We're moving right along here, aren't we? Uh, The question number 5 says, What was the condition of the sacred grounds on the Temple Mount? And we'll look at uh, Lamentation 5, verse 18, briefly here. It says, Because of the mountain of Zion which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. The temple had been destroyed. And the teacher's notes here is interesting. It says, foxes walked upon the mountain of Zion, indicating complete destruction. It must have been heartbreaking for Jeremiah to witness such desolation. Solomon had asked God to hear the people when they prayed toward this temple. That's in Second Chronicles six thirty-four through 39 We can only imagine the pain felt when the people realized that the holiest place on earth was now just a pile of rubble. It's important for us to understand and recognize the value of a consecrated and sacred place. It's important for us to hallow it and to make sure that we treat it with proper respect. Uh, We read in Daniel 6.10, How even after he knew that the temple had been destroyed, he continued in his regular practice. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, you'll recognize this is the time he's going to get thrown to the lion's den. He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now certainly Daniel must have known that the temple was destroyed. But he still prayed in the direction of the temple. He still prayed in the direction of Jerusalem. You know, what's interesting is I think this tells us that Daniel understood that it isn't about the building, but it's about the intent and the, and the, the cry of our heart reaching out to God. God had consecrated that place where the temple was, and David, or Daniel was still facing that direction in order to, to face and to say, I, I acknowledge and I, and I want the blessing of God in my life. But what we must realize is that these things that are here on earth, even if they are sacred, are temporal. They are temporary by nature. Uh, The temple of Solomon was not going to last forever. It just would not. That's the nature of things here on this earth. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. We we look for a place beyond this place. And so we we want to make sure that we're not uh, placing our hope in a place or in something temporal. Uh, We read in 1 Corinthians, (coughs) excuse me, it says, What? Know ye not that your body, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, 
and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, God made a, a transition that he, he was not going to live in a temple or that he was not going to be a, in a focus in a building. But know that God would want to live in your heart, in my life, in my heart, in my body as his temple. In Second Corinthians 4.18 and then in chapter 5 verse 1. It says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's interesting that Paul should use this reference uh, to a tabernacle, talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. By nature was a tent. It was a temporary location that was moved from place to place. And so he referred to his own body as, a, as this, his tabernacle. Peter did the same thing in 2 Peter 1.14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. You know, we, we lament over, over things that are out of our control and we, we can't see. Uh, certainly the campgrounds in Portland is a beautiful place and we will miss it this summer. Uh, Lord willing, uh, if, we, if he tarries, we'll be back together again at camp meeting in the, the following year. But I think it hurts our hearts. We lament the fact that we cannot be at the campground. And we praise God that the campground has not met a fate like the temple, Solomon's temple. We're thankful that it's still there and that, Lord willing, again, we'll be uh, back uh, there at, uh, in 2021. Uh, but really, the reality is, is that anything could happen. It really isn't about the tabernacle. It's a special place. I know I have many victories, one in the tabernacle or around the grounds. Maybe you do too. But it's just a place. It's just a temporal thing. And it holds a special place in our heart. But what really matters is if we are attending to the temple that we have built here or that, that our bodies are for God, that we make sure that we're, we're doing the things that we should do to make this a holy place to make this a place where God would be pleased to dwell. And that ultimately we will meet in the camp meeting in the sky. I don't like putting it like that because somehow it feels like it's, it's not quite doing it justice to say camp meeting. But we enjoy camp meeting. We enjoy getting together. And Lord willing, we'll all be able to do that uh, on heaven's shores. We'll continue and we'll look into Lamentations 5 a little closer here and we'll look at several of the verses. We'll go back to verse 3. And this is kind of a recounting of some things. In Lamentations 5.3 we see, uh, We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. Uh, this is talking about the humiliation of the people and the state they found themselves in. In verse 4 it says, We have drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold unto us. This was, they, they couldn't even gather water for themselves. They had to pay for it. They had to buy it. And verse 6, We have given the hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. They were under bondage in many ways because they needed to eat still and survive. Verse 11, They ravished the women of Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. The women were being raped and taken advantage of. In verse 12, 
princes are hanged up by their hands. The faces of elders are not honored. There was much dishonor through the land of Judah after this desolation. Verse 13, they took the young men to grind and the children fell under the wood. They were even causing children to labor uh, for the Chaldeans. They were causing children to, to go out and to work, perhaps for their food, perhaps for nothing, just to have some labor. In verses 14 and 15, the elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. Uh, the joy of our heart has ceased, our dance is turned uh, into mourning. And then we already read about how the temple uh, was taken. So uh, here we have this this humiliation that has come. And what a difficult place that they found themselves in. But we see, and really you can apply this to the Word of God in general. I think you'll, you'll find that over and over again, uh, the Lord appreciates and the Lord wants to see humility. The Lord is not interested in bringing someone low. In fact, actually, the Scripture commands us to humble ourselves before God. And that really presents an interesting situation, doesn't it? That we should bring ourselves before God in a humble manner, that we should humble ourselves, or God will humble us. Certainly, the children of Judah were humbled in this circumstance, in this situation, and that's really what Jeremiah is leading up to as he begins to recount these. Let's read in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Now, that's an interesting way that Jeremiah puts that, isn't it? He doesn't ask the Lord to turn back toward Judah. He asks the Lord to make Judah turn to him. And that's really the crux of it, isn't it? God wants to turn toward us. God is interested in looking upon us and, and helping us in our time of need. But if we turn away from God, what hope do we have? Uh, so here, Jeremiah, he, he paints a, a beautiful uh, picture here. He says, turn us, O Lord. We need to turn. And, and we know that. We acknowledge that. Turn us. Help us. I prayed time and time again for those that are outside the ark of safety that they would, they would come, that they would turn back to the Lord. And you know, sometimes I, I pray these prayers and I think, well, of course, Lord, I know you want them to come. So why should I pray that the Lord wants them to come? Because he does. So then I find myself praying, Lord, soften their hearts. Lord, bring something in their path that will remind them of where they are. And we've heard numerous testimonies of people that have done just that, where the Lord caught them up short and helped them to realize where they were. Amen. We want to turn toward God. You know, that turning doesn't end uh, once you're saved. We, we continue to need to turn toward God. Uh, once our sin is dealt with and we get saved and we're on the path of righteousness, we want to continue to turn toward God. And what that means is that we turn away from the world. We turn away from those things that would distract us. 
those things that would hinder us in our walk. It's, it would be an interesting thing to tell somebody, you know, I almost made heaven, but I let this thing get in my way. I let this, I let a car get in my way. I let money get in my way. Because at the judgment, when everything is all said and done, it will seem like the most stupid thing that you ever did. And really, honestly, it will be. So God asks us to turn. God asks us to, to make sure that we're turning toward Him. Let's read some scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures in the Word of God about humility. Psalm nine twelve, When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Psalm ten twelve. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Proverbs sixteen eighteen through 19 Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Do you want to dwell on high with God? Be humble before him. Matthew twenty three twelve. And whosoever shall exalt himself, these are the words of Jesus, shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. That's the way of approaching our God, is through humility. And I think the greatest lesson we learn from uh, Jeremiah, and then also his following lamentations, is that humility is, is the way that we want to be. Er, the Humble is the way we want to be. We want to be humble before God Almighty. The Lord will honor that. He honored Josiah coming humbly before him, and he pushed off this calamity that Jeremiah saw. Oh, God wants to, to touch you where you are and the needs that you have. Maybe you're saved and you don't think that sanctification is for you. Turn to the Lord. Come to Him humbly. Uh, come to Him with everything out before Him and say, Lord, it's all yours. The Lord will sanctify you. Uh, maybe you're sanctified and you've been seeking for your baptism for a long time. It may seem like a long time. But the Lord has been trying you and the Lord has been helping you and the Lord has been testing you. He wants to know where uh, your loyalties lie. He wants to know what it is that you will give up so that that baptism can be effective, so that that Holy Spirit uh, can be that power that He wants it to be in your life. God hasn't left you high and dry. God hasn't forgotten about you. Turn to God. Turn to Him with your whole heart. Uh, give Him everything. And God will fill you. Uh, the, the beauty of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it's not an accessory for a Christian. It is the power of God to rest upon His sanctified vessel to be what He would want them to be wherever He wants them to be. Oh, the Lord will do that. Maybe you don't know where you are. 
Maybe you're confused or you've been struggling with some things. The message is the same. Turn to God. Turn to Him humbly and ask Him. Ask Him, Lord, where am I? I don't know, but I know You do. Show me where I am. I've heard people pray that prayer. I've prayed that prayer myself, and the Lord has always been faithful. He will show you where you are. But don't be like the children of Judah. Be prepared to act on what He shows you. Be prepared to to follow through on what God shows you, and you will not be sorry for it. Well, you'll be sorry if you don't follow through. But you will not be sorry if you give God everything. May God bless you as you study His Word, as you continue to endeavor to serve Him. Uh, May God bless you abundantly with uh, everything that you need. Uh, God will be faithful to you by the authority of His Word. Uh, Amen. God bless you.